Cool. What's up, you guys? How are you? Did you make it here safe? Good. You didn't crash your car. You're good. Everyone's cool. Some people didn't make it here safe. Hopefully they didn't die. Um, that would be sad. So anyways, uh, <laughs> I got married like a year ago, just over a year ago. Uh, and I, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, but I learned some things since I've been married about life and the way it should be lived. One thing that I learned is that the food that I ate when I was a single guy was literal garbage. Like it was so, like it, was, it didn't even taste good. I didn't know food like could taste so good until I got married and my wife cooks for me and it's so good and it's healthy. And I'm like, what? I was eating Hot Pockets and like mac and cheese and it was gross. I have standards now. For those of you guys who are a single guy, girl, ladies, you guys just know good food generally. I did not. So I learned that. The second thing I learned was that furniture in your house is actually, it's good if it matches the other furniture. <laughs> I didn't know that. Like my two categories for picking out furniture was one, is it comfortable? Is it comfy? And the second one, is it cheap? I got it from thrift stores and they didn't have to match. They were comfortable and I could afford it. It was like a $10 couch and I'm good. As long as it doesn't have like bugs in it, because some of them do. Don't take a free couch. That's, uh, that's worth, worth the trip right there. Advice for single guys, don't take a free couch. Uh, but the other thing that I learned, because I like, I have a big family and I had to, during the holidays especially, it's hard to find time to spend time with everybody. And now I have two families. And so trying to find time to spend time with all of your both families is difficult and it's important. Uh, and this last Thanksgiving, just a couple months ago, uh, there was this time where we, we got together with my wife's family and my, uh, my sister-in-law now uh, wanted to go to dinner. Her and her husband and my wife and I, we wanted to go to dinner. And they work at like super fancy restaurants, like high-end, super fancy restaurants. And so I'm like, okay, I, I, I don't know fancy. Like fancy to me growing up was Chili's, like the corner booth at Chili's or uh, Red Robin, getting a burger, anywhere where somebody, a person would come take my order and then serve me. I'm like, that's luxury right there. And so Denny's counted anything like, anything like that that wasn't talking to a box on the outside of a building to get your food, ordering from the value menu. Like that's eating out. Fancy eating is the other way. So they're like way different than me. They were suggesting all these different places in Spokane. Uh, and I was like, I have no idea what any of those are. Uh, and they're like, you'll like it. There's, some, there's this place that we really like that say sell seafood. And I'm like, I like seafood. So I'm good with that. And so I'm expecting when we go to this place, like $15 plates. I'm like, that's, that's fancy, right? That's expensive. Maybe $20, any more than that. And I'm like, that's just obscene. Uh, and so we get to this place and we walk into this fancy hotel and everything's made of glass. And there's paintings on the wall with big, thick frames, and there's chandeliers. And I'm like, this is, I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm wearing jeans and a sweatshirt, and I'm like, I need a haircut. I need something. I don't fit in here. This is weird. And so we sit down, and there's multiple forks on the table. And I'm like, I, I don't know what that means. Um, but then we get our food. Like, we, we actually, they give us the menus first. And the first thing I noticed about the menus was that I didn't understand a word of what was on there. 
Like, I, it wasn't really in a different language. I just didn't understand what they were saying. And I was like, hey, what does this mean? And they're like, that's chicken. And I'm like, oh, why don't they just say that? Like, why do they have to use the different words? And the second thing that I noticed was we weren't talking $15 plates. We weren't even talking $20 plates. We're talking like $60, $70 plates of food. And I'm like, that is too much. That is not, I'm really uncomfortable at this point. I'm like, I know it's in my wallet. I cannot afford this. Uh, but I didn't want to ruin the night. So I'm like, okay, we'll, we'll buy it. And so they suggest a bunch of things. We buy the food. And you guys, it was so good. Like maybe the best meal that I have had in my entire life. They're like giving me little bits of meat. And they're like, this is a clam. This is like a weird clam. And you just, you dip it in this and you sprinkle this on it. And then you pop it in your mouth. And I'm like, that was delicious. I don't even like clams very often. But that, that was so good. Uh, and so we get to the end of the meal, and I, like, I tried not to think about how much it would cost, but I could not shake this feeling, like, I don't belong here. Like, I could try, I could get, I could rent a tuxedo, I could go and, like, pretend that I know what the food is, and, like, and swirl it around in my mouth, and, like, I, I don't know what, what people who belong there do, but, like, I could not shake this feeling that I don't belong here. And I think a lot of us have had that feeling before. And I think all of us have had that feeling before in different circumstances. Like this feeling, I don't belong where I am. I'm not good enough. For whatever reason, I don't belong here. Like maybe you, uh, you have some friends and you're in conversations with people who know a lot about politics. And you're like, I don't know very much about politics at all, but I'll pretend. Like maybe you have friends who are like, Ben Shapiro. Like, I listen to Ben Shapiro, and I know everything about everything. Uh, I have lots of friends like that. They're cool. I like Ben Shapiro. Uh, but they, like, they know lots of things about lots of things. And I'm like, I don't belong in this conversation. Maybe you have friends that you think really highly of, and you're like, why do they spend time with me? Like, I, I'm not cool enough to be around these people. I don't belong here. I think that if we're really honest, we feel that way sometimes right here in the church. Like maybe you, uh, you think, man, if they really knew who I was, if they really knew what I struggled with, they wouldn't want me here. Like they wouldn't invite me here. They wouldn't love me. Like if they knew, if they really knew, what I'd been struggling with, if they knew about my addiction, if they knew about my relationships with my parents, if they knew how broken I was, they wouldn't want me here. If you feel like that, you're definitely not alone. And in fact, we see this mentality, this feeling, and how God responds to it in the very first Christmas. Last week, uh, we talked about the shepherds and how in the Israelite society, the shepherds were not on the high end of society. They were not, they didn't have a whole lot of status. They were on the lower end. In fact, they were uneducated. They were stinky. Probably, they worked with animals. And yet, we're going to read in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, open up to there. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have your Bibles, that's totally cool. And it says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So at this point, Jesus is born, Mary had the baby, and not in the expected way, in a barn, put it in a food trough, uh, and then we, we pick it up in verse 9. 
And an angel, angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find him, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. And I think sometimes we miss the significance of the Messiah to the Jewish people. Like in our culture, the hope of someone stuck in a bad situation is kind of themselves. Like you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, you get to work, you start making money, you get a better job, you go to college, and then eventually if you work hard enough, you get out of your bad situation. For the Jewish people, like for every Jewish boy and girl, the hope that they were gonna get out of this bad situation, this oppression by the Romans and before that, Babylon and Assyria, like the hope for them was the Messiah. Like eventually this Messiah is gonna come and make everything better. That's our hope, we're waiting. So this was significant. And who's the first people that God tells? Like, and they don't even know this, but this is the most significant event in the history of humanity. Like the most significant event, not just the hope of Israel, but the hope of every person for all time, all over the planet. And who's the first people that God tells? The shepherds. Why? Like he, he wants to tell, and it wasn't because that they were the closest people. Like, just go tell somebody nearby. It was, like, very intentional. You read the Old Testament prophecy fulfilled in this moment, everything about this story was intentional. Not, like, every little bit of this story was intentional. God chose to invite the shepherds to this moment, one that they were grossly underqualified for on purpose. That's the Christmas story. Like, that is the gospel we are grossly underqualified to be in a relationship with God, and yet he chooses to invite us anyways. Jesus continues this trend throughout his ministry, uh, and we're going to talk one, about one more story in Luke 7. Um, but Jesus at this point is, is representing God perfectly because God, I mean, he is God, uh, but he's representing God perfectly by doing the exact same thing. So we pick up in Luke 7, and at this point, uh, Jesus has grown. He started his ministry, and he's doing some pretty crazy things and saying some pretty crazy things. So people are confused, and people are calling him a prophet. Uh, and so the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, uh, they were confused. Like, they, they were trying to feel him out. They were asking him questions. They were testing him, trying to figure out what this guy was about. Um, and in Luke 7, a Pharisee invites him to dinner which this was really common, for Pharisees to invite influential people, uh, other Pharisees, different people who were important during that day to their house. And it was like a modern-day podcast, right, because they would sit on their porch and have these conversations in a place where everyone could hear it, and then people from all over the town would come uh, and listen to them have these conversations because they didn't have Netflix. They didn't have anything for entertainment. They would go and listen to really smart people, really influential people have conversations. And so we pick this up in Luke 7, chapter, or in verse 37. Because during this conversation, somebody came that was not invited. Somebody came that did not belong there at all. And we read about it in verse 37. It says this, A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. 
So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And we were like, why? That's really weird. That doesn't make any sense. Why did she do that? And why didn't anyone stop her? Well, we, uh, we learned from the context of that, that this woman, when it says a sinful, a woman who lived a sinful life, or sometimes the Bible says an immoral woman, it's just a nice way of saying the town prostitute. So this woman was like the bottom of the barrel when it came to people in this town. Like people would have walked on the other side of the street so that they wouldn't have to walk near this person. And she poured perfume on his feet. And this perfume, like perfume to us is not that expensive. We can go to the drugstore and get perfume. But to her, this was probably the most expensive thing that she owned. Like her life savings, her retirement fund, this was it. And she gave it to Jesus. It was also, as a prostitute, the way that she let guys in the town know that she was selling. Guys would smell this perfume and know that she's a prostitute and she can be bought. And so not only in this moment is she giving Jesus her life savings, but she's repenting of her sin. And we read on in verse 39. It says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, he said to himself, so he was thinking this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him the thing that was in his head that no one else heard, but Jesus knows because he's Jesus. He says, Simon, I have something to tell you. He says, tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So one a lot more than the other. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them loved him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus says. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So we read this, and I'm like, cool, that's awesome. Like, that's a great Jesus story. But I, like, why would she do that? Like, what gave her the nerve to walk into high society and do what she did? Like, she was the person that everyone in the town rejected, like, she was the person, literally, people would walk on the other side of the street so they wouldn't have to look at her or risk touching her. And yet, she has the nerve to walk into this meeting, this dinner party, and do what she did. And the text doesn't really say, uh, but it could have been that she heard Jesus preach. So, the, the first books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are basically the same story from different perspectives. And so it's the same timeline. You can go from story to story, story and see what happened from a different perspective uh, in someone else's account of what Jesus did. And we read in the same part in the timeline in Matthew 11, a sermon that Jesus preached around the same time that this happened. So it could have been in the same town. She likely could have heard this sermon. And it says this, 
Matthew 11, verse 28. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden, the burden I give you, is light. So he says, Come. He says to this woman, and he says to all of us, Come. Anyone who's tired and carries a heavy burden, who's struggling, come to me. He's inviting us. Uh, He's saying the exact same message that God says by telling shepherds of the greatest thing that's ever happened in humanity's history. He says the the most incredible truth that we can possibly, and he says it with the gospel, he says it to us today, you're invited. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or who you've been there with, you're invited. Like Jesus says, there are no people who are not invited because here's the truth. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not sure what you think about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure if you even believe in God. Maybe you struggle with sin. Maybe you're like everyone else. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in a church. Maybe you don't feel like you belong in your family. Maybe you don't feel like you belong anywhere. He says, you're invited. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction currently. You're invited. Maybe you don't feel at home in your small group. Maybe you don't feel welcome. Maybe you, you struggle consistently and you're depressed and you're anxious and you're, you're str- as a Christian. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and you struggle with anxiety and depression and you feel like you shouldn't. You're invited. Jesus says, Come. Because Jesus didn't come into the world to save, or Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save perfect people. He didn't come to save the people who have all the money and have all their poop in a group. Like he, he came to save broken people, just like you and me, people who sin and have addictions and have trauma and have baggage. He came to save people. He came into the world as a helpless baby. He lived a perfect life. And then offered himself up as a sacrifice for the sins that we committed. And he says, you're invited. Uh, so when I was at that restaurant, I, uh, like, I, I, like, I couldn't pay for that. Like, I, had the, the, I had to pay for my wife's meal and my meal. And I'm like, I, I don't, I can't pay for this. And I, I was struggling and I was worried. And at the end of the meal, my, uh, my sister-in-law was like, hey, we got it. And I'm like, that's a, like, that's a lot of money. And they're like, no, we got it. And they insisted, and they paid for it when I couldn't pay for it, and I stressed about nothing. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Like the wages of what we earned for our sin and brokenness is death. But he says that he paid for it. He paid for it. there was this time of, uh, it was when I was dating my wife, and we were struggling to hold physical boundaries. Um, and there was one time I was coming home, and I was, I was struggling. And I've told this story before, but I was just reaming myself. Like, I was so frustrated and angry at myself and just telling myself off how awful and terrible I am. And, uh, and God stopped me, and God didn't speak to me audibly. Uh, that's never happened to me. But he stopped me, and he's like, why are you treating yourself this way? And I'm like, I had an answer already because I deserve it. 
Like, I deserve to be treated this way because I screwed up again. When I said that I wouldn't, I screwed up again. And he says, I know, that's the point. Stop trying to pay for something that I've already paid for. I I had a new understanding of grace in that moment. Like, I don't need to ream myself. I don't need to pay with the shame and the guilt of what I've done because Jesus paid for it already. So over the years, uh, the tradition of setting up a Christmas tree on Christmas or before Christmas, some of you guys set it up in October because you're crazy. Uh, It has a lot of different meanings. Uh, One meaning that I want to focus on tonight is the Christmas tree as the tree that Jesus died on. And so the tree is the cross, and then when we put ornaments on the tree, we're putting our sin and our brokenness and our baggage and our trauma, and we're putting it on the tree, putting it on the cross. And it's a reminder to us that Jesus paid for it already. He says, when he invites us, we can actually come now because he paid for it. Uh, in the, the Old Testament, the Israelites had someone called the high priest. He was the only person on the planet that could come into the presence of God. He, he kept himself ceremonially clean all year long, worked crazy hard, and then would atone for the sins of the people by going into the presence of God. And the Bible calls Jesus our new high priest. So he is the high priest. And in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says this. So then, since we have a great high priest... Who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. The high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced the same testings we do and yet did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So he says, come. And he says, when you come, come boldly. You are forgiven. You don't have to come groveling and on your knees Because you're forgiven. He says, come, you're invited. I want you to come, and I've paid for the debt that you couldn't pay for. And so today, uh, we have some ornaments that I want you guys to take to group with you. We're going to have our group leaders come and grab ornaments. Uh, And during your group conversation, we're going to take some time to think about and write down some different things that maybe we feel like disqualifies us from coming to God. Because even as somebody who has been following Jesus for a long time. Like, there are times where I come into the church and I'm like, mask, throwing a mask on because if people knew I was struggling, they wouldn't want me. If people, if God knew, like, God knows, but if I don't represent God perfectly, then God's not going to want me or God's going God's to be mad at me and I'm disqualified from coming to God because I've screwed it up again. Uh, And those things don't actually disqualify us because of what Jesus did. And so we're going to write those on an ornament, um, and then we are going to put them on the tree, which is the cross, that Jesus paid the price for our sins. Um, And so we, uh, yeah, so we're going to, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to break for small groups. If you don't have a small group, um, come up after we're done here, and we'll put you in a small group. This is an interesting week to come if it's your first time here. Uh, but we're super happy that you're here if it's your first time, and we'll get you in a small group. Uh, Lord God, we love you. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank you for paying for the invitation that we couldn't pay for. God, I pray that you would help us to come. 
God, we, uh, we struggle with shame and, and with doubts and with all these things, God. And you know exactly what we're struggling with, and you call us anyways. So, God, we love you, and we thank you so much. I pray for the small groups. I pray that you'd help us to be vulnerable and honest, uh, Lord God, and that we'd be free of these burdens and these things that we feel like disqualify us. God, we love you.